The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Well, thank you, Darren. I'm going to make one slight correction because I know some of you know my boss, um, My role is the director of Arasha, Ontario. Luke Wilson is the director of Arasha, Canada, and uh, I don't want it getting back to him that I'm trying to to take his role. Friends, it is good to be with you this morning. I hope you indulge me with just a few comments before we begin reflecting on Holy Scripture this morning. It's wonderful to see many new faces. It's great to see some faces that um, I have seen a long time before and some others of you that have become familiar over the last few months. So it's good to be with you, and it's particularly good to be with you at a time when you are giving Pastor Hayden a bit of space to adjust to having three children in the household. Having made the jump as a parent from two to three, myself, I know that that is is a tough chin-up. You go from being able to play one-on-one defense to, uh, to only zone, and it's a tough adjustment. So I'm happy to, uh, to be a part of giving him some space. I want to thank you as well for the support that your congregation has offered to Arasha as we endeavor to contribute to God's work of stewarding creation. I know that as a congregation, you've supported that part of God's mission, and I know that a number of you as individuals have as well. And so thank you. Deeply appreciative. Now, a prayer. Creator God, grant us the awareness of your presence, both here and all around your good earth. Redeeming God, invite us and equip us to be a part of your restorative work in this community and beyond. And God, may our reflection on Holy Scripture be guided by your Spirit. Here again, these lines from Psalm 1, and I apologize, I'm referring to a slightly different translation than the one that you use here. Happy are those, or blessed are those, who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees. They are like trees. I wonder if you've ever had the opportunity to stick your hands into the soil and attempt to trace a network of roots. It's maybe not as hard if you're in your garden where you have your plants spaced out or if you're in tilled land, but if you're in the forest trying to follow one root or the roots of one plant can be difficult. There are many and they overlap. 
Scientists who study these things will often wash away the soil from these root networks to be able to see how they're connected. What I would like for us to do today is to push our fingers into the soil of Scripture and trace just a few roots that connect many of these 66 books. Today marks the beginning of what a number of denominations refer to as the season of creation, the liturgical season of creation. I'm not sure which reformed networks might be incorporating this into the worship calendar, but I know that many of the rest of us in the Christian family have learned much from reformed voices about stewarding God's creation. So this morning, at the beginning of this season of creation, let's roll up our sleeves and follow some of these root networks that run throughout the Bible. We'll begin in Psalm 1. The particular root that I want us to follow, the theme or the thread that I want us to follow, is what the Bible has to say about trees. What the Bible has to say about trees, remember that line? They are like trees planted by streams of water. And so I wonder if you have a favorite tree. And if you can picture it in your mind's eye. Just as trees make an impression on us, so they made an impression on the biblical writers. The physician and writer Matthew Sleeth points out that aside from references to God and to people, the living things that are discussed the most in Scripture are trees. Trees. And some of these references to trees in the Bible are well known, like this one in front of us from Psalm 1. Others are more obscure. You may or may not know this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 20. This is verse 19. The context here is rules for warfare. Hear this. If you besiege a town for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you must not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. Although you may take food from them, you must not cut them down. This is one of those references to trees in the Bible. It's not one that we might think of often, but it's an important text for Jewish environmental ethics. And the idea is one that surely the psalmist and many of the New Testament writers would have been familiar with. Here, let's trace a, a somewhat larger root. One of the central characters in Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 is not a person, but a tree. Do you remember this? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this passage is connected to the very end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 22, where we read about a tree that grows from the banks of the river of life. This is the tree of life. 
And the leaves of this tree, Scripture tells us, are for the healing of the nations. And this thread runs through the center of the biblical story. Jesus' messianic mission is often understood through the arboreal vision of Isaiah. It was Isaiah who said, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And Jesus himself, he taught with reference to trees. You'll remember the mustard seed that grows into a tree, We'd probably call it a shrub, but Scripture refers to it as tree. It's one example. And you, re you might remember the death of Jesus, in which he is given a crown of thorns, likely from the jujube tree, which is a relative of the buckthorn. In Acts chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus is described as having died on a tree. And so here the writer Luke is linking this cataclysmic event back to the book of Genesis. And I find it interesting that when Jesus is resurrected by the power of the Spirit, he is mistaken for a gardener. I wonder, maybe he was attending to the trees. In the book of Romans, Paul tells us that the inclusion of the Gentiles, so most of us, the inclusion of the Gentiles into the people of God can best be understood by thinking of a wild branch being grafted into a well-established tree. As I go through this litany, I'm reminded, as maybe some of you are, that recent novel by Richard Powers in which trees are central characters, connecting various geographies and generations. Maybe the artists among us are recovering something about trees that the biblical writers knew as well. You can't read much of the Bible without stumbling over the root of one tree or another. One of the things that we at Arasha like to encourage people to do is to get to know the specifics of your place. Get to know your neighbors, your human neighbors, but also the plant and animal neighbors those with whom you share space. And often what people find is as they do that, as they get to know their neighbors, their appreciation for them grows and their lives become richer, more interesting, and more marked by wonder and awe. The wonder and awe, perhaps, of the psalmist. Several weeks ago, a couple of our staff resolved to find a creature known as a water bear. Now, one would think that knowing whether a bear exists or does not exist on a 90-acre property would not be terribly difficult. Finding the water bear is a little bit different. 
Some of you, I'm sure, already know what I'm talking about. The water bear is more formally known as a tardigrade. It's a micro-animal that has eight legs. Its body is divided up into segments. And you need a microscope to see one well. At their largest, they might be a millimeter, but they're often only a tenth of that size. The water bear or the tardigrade is one of the few creatures that can survive for long periods of time, years, perhaps even a decade, without water. Two of our Arasha ed educators were able to find a water bear in the moss. It's an interesting story of, of finding a new richness to life by paying attention to specifics and to small things. There's much to discover in our world as we pay attention to specifics. But now you'll notice that the psalmist here in Psalm 1 is not paying attention to specifics. It's just a generic tree. But there are other references in Scripture where the writers are thinking about specifics. We read quite often about olive trees in the Bible. But there are more. We read about the balsam, about the fig, about the palm, the cedar, the willow, the sycamore, the lotus, the pomegranate, the apple, the myrtle, the oak, the poplar, the mulberry, and the almond. I'm not sure if I have them all. Now, if we had more time to trace this root network, these references to trees in the Bible, we would explore stories like the burning bush or the sweetening of the waters of Mara in Exodus or Isaiah's hand-clapping trees or the extended metaphor of trees in Ezekiel or the role of the resilient tree in Job 14. We could explore any number of additional psalms we could look at the pomology of the Song of Psalms, the conversion of Zacchaeus, happens in a tree, or the prayer of Jesus amongst the olive trees. The story of Scripture cannot be told well without referring to trees. And the moral teaching of Scripture is hollowed out if we forget about trees. The poetry of Scripture deflates if we exclude trees. So if we want to hear what the Spirit is saying to us as we read the Scriptures, we must attend to trees. This would have been something that came more naturally to the original audience of the texts that make up our Bible. Modern life has distanced many of us from the natural world, and so we have to be more deliberate, more intentional. We'll turn our attention back to Psalm 1 in just a moment, but friends, one of the things that I want to encourage congregations to reflect on is how the Bible is an ecological book. Ecology is the study of relationships. The study of relationships between living organisms, including humans, and their physical environment, 
And yes, the biblical writers were interested in these relationships. They knew that God cared about the relationships of people one to another, the relationships of people to God, but also the relationship of people to the land. And they knew that these relationships were the site of sin as well as the site of grace. We taste this grace whenever we eat a peach. That's the taste of grace. Whenever we crunch an almond, we feel this divine grace when we enjoy shade and we smell this divine grace when we take a breath of clean air or when we inhale the scent of a pine forest on a warm summer morning. The biblical writers, some of them at least, would have said that we see sin in these relationships when the trees are needlessly destroyed as in Deuteronomy, and maybe even when our actions make it difficult for them to grow. Neil Plantiga describes sin as shalom-breaking, culpable shalom-breaking, I think is his phrase. So it's a disruption in right relationship. I think the biblical writers would have had something to say about those moments when we take God's creation, trees included, for granted. But here's the flip side. Attending to wonderful things like trees and other aspects of God's creation is simply interesting. It's fun. It's satisfying to know more about our place in the community of life. Now, we have a few moments remaining. Let's turn our attention back to Psalm 1 and Deuteronomy 30. These are two of the passages assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary. We've taken note of how this reference to a tree in Psalm 1 puts us in the middle of a network of references to trees throughout the Bible. And we've probably observed that there is no singular meaning, no singular function that these references to trees serve. We say that a tree is a flexible figure throughout both Testaments. They're deployed by writers in different ways. And so this means that through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, trees can function like holy images, pointing us back to God. Taking trees seriously, like the biblical writers did, means that we can learn about ourselves, we can learn about the rest of creation, and we can learn about the Creator. Now, remember these lines from Psalm 1. They, or the man, are like trees, planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season. Their leaves do not wither, and all that they do, they prosper. So this morning, the biblical poet is inviting us to look at a thriving tree, one that has good access to water. Of course, this would have been rarer in the Mediterranean basin than it is here in Canada. 
We have access to something like 20% of the world's fresh water. And so if we're going to experience this psalm, we need to, to picture a thriving tree, one that has access to water when that cannot be taken for granted. We need to picture a tree whose leaves are not withered, and a tree that produces fruit according to the season. The according to the season part is important. So, create an image in your mind. What does that tree look like for you? My mind goes to a number of gnarled oaks, but also to some of the towering red pines in Algonquin Park. You might picture a fruit tree. The poet is telling us that such trees can teach us about our own life. We're not as different from trees as we might think. Just like the tree, we require appropriate nourishment. And this nourishment should produce in us a life that is fruitful and that is of benefit to others. The flourishing of this tree is a natural and expected product of good nourishment. And so a question arises for us as we contemplate this image of the tree. If our lives are not producing fruit, are not benefiting others, why not? The poet's answer is that we have not put ourselves in a good position to receive nourishment. Because the satisfied person, or the happy person, or the blessed person, all of those words are used to translate that first line, that person is one who soaks in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord. A life that is not so is not like a tree, but it is like the shaft. Like the leftover bits of the harvest, fleeting, of little use, not resilient and not productive. Now, we should note that the tree shows us that the productive character of our life need not be constant and it need not be linear. There will certainly be seasons when we, like any healthy tree, are not showy or outwardly productive. Even a well-nourished, well-rooted life will include seasons of grief and seasons of pain. Today, many congregations around the world are pairing this Psalm 1 with this reading from Deuteronomy 30. Let me remind you of a few lines. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, observe his commandments, then you shall live. This is the sort of soaking in the law of the Lord that the psalmist had in mind. The thriving and productive tree is one that is well-nourished. And the thriving human life is deeply rooted in the life and the will of God. So, 
What might God's Spirit be saying to us today? For many of us, this weekend represents a turning toward a new school year. A return to regular work routines. It's the beginning of a seasonal shift. And all this is happening after several months of trying to find a new normal, of getting back to activities that we might have missed for a year or two. So this is a time that will test our roots. Are we nourished by the life and law of God? Are we capable of not withering and producing fruit that will benefit others? Yes, this is a point in our calendar that is an invitation to reflect on our roots. Not our historical or cultural roots, but the roots of our spiritual practice. Are we soaking in the story of creation and redemption? Do we know the direction that this story is headed? Do we have a vision of God's shalom in our minds? And do we sense God's love for us and for all of creation in the depths of our hearts? I'm convinced that a part of this spiritual practice is growing in our understanding of the creation of which we're a part. Just as a tree can be a holy image of a life that chooses life, so can many other elements of creation. If we have eyes to see and if we have ears to hear. For instance, you might recall that Jesus has a suggestion about dealing with anxiety. And it involves the consideration of of all things, a flower. He mentions a lily. As we see God's care for this life form that does little to defend itself, we are encouraged. We're given confidence. The biblical poets and prophets were entranced by the natural world. Some ancient Christian theologians like to point out that the only Bible Moses read was the book of creation. And the fact that God sustains the world, trees included, is an invitation for us to join the biblical poets in consideration and contemplation. We've reflected mostly on trees this morning. But we could trace the roots of other biblical nature themes. The literary tendrils that connect water or references to birds, references to fire or grass or storms, they run throughout the Bible, both testaments, hold them together. So my encouragement in closing. I think this season of creation is a marvelous time to explore. To explore these biblical references. To explore the book of creation. To renew our spiritual practice. 
There is much in Scripture and in the natural world that encourages, that engages, that enriches. And every bit of it is suffused with divine grace and with God's love for the world, for all of it. So God of all wisdom, draw us into your own life. Make your will our will. And allow us to take delight in your good creation even as do you. And may we learn, under the direction of your Spirit, how to choose life 